As you're standing there, church, I'm going to invite you. I have one passage of scripture I'm going to read today. A verse the Lord placed on my heart to share with you. Psalms chapter 20 and verse 10. Psalms chapter 20 and verse 10. I believe I have a, I believe I have a message and that God has been speaking to me about. I pray that it will speak to you. Some trust in chariots. And summon horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. And I want to today talk about horses and chariots. Horses and chariots. Someone say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in God's presence. In this day of modern high-speed transit and advanced warfare, it's hard to imagine the chariot being a luxurious mode of transportation, let alone a fierce weapon used in battle. But I want to invite you, if you can, go back with me in time to the days of ancient Israel when horses and chariots were used in war. Back then, the war chariot was a powerful weapon, uh, as powerful a weapon as perhaps a missile is to us today. It was an incredible machine consisting of two large wheels spinning on an axle. And at the center of the spokes would often be a blade-like object protruding out, which would cause damage whenever sideswiping another chariot. And many chariots held three people, consisting of a warrior, a shield-bearer, and the charioteer who was driving it. Of course, they were drawn by powerful horses. Some Persian chariots were drawn by up to four horses. Uh, lined up side by side on the battlefield, these fighting machines caused fear and intimidation at their very sight. Once in motion, they sped along at rapid speed and slaughter the enemy in their path. To have horses and chariots was indeed an advantage for any army. It was a luxury. And in many cases, it was uh, the sign of victory. If you had a host of horses and chariots, it was almost a um, foregone conclusion that the victory would be yours if you had such weapons at your disposal. Yet I want you to know what the Lord instructed Israel concerning how they should face their enemies on the battlefield. I want to read in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. This is God's war plan. He says, when you go out to battle against 
your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 4, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Someone say amen today. Now as encouraging as these words are, and they are, the people of Israel were still human like you and I. So I want you to imagine the terror that they must have felt whenever they were about to go into battle. As they looked across the battlefield, across the valley, and saw their enemies, whomever they might be, lined up with all of their horses and chariots. I want you to imagine for a moment what may have been on their minds. What kinds of thoughts and feelings they must have felt standing on opposite sides of the valley looking at the makeup, the construction of these war machines and how it is that they were going to fight this battle. How it is they were going to achieve the upper hand in warfare. Uh, how it is that they were going to draw up a battle plan to compensate for the fact that they were outnumbered, perhaps, but in this regard, outgunned. Because the enemy was allowed to use these things, but God's people were forbidden. Now maybe that's where somebody, in some way, might find themselves today. You know that God is with you. Amen. I said, you know that God is with you. But sometimes, brother, it doesn't feel like a fair fight. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't feel like it's pound for pound, toe to toe, an equal fight. And maybe it doesn't seem like God is moving with the kind of force, speed, and fashion that you would like Him to do. Maybe. You find yourself today at the forefront of a battle or engaged in a battle where it feels like the odds are against you and that it is harder than what you thought it was going to be. It was more difficult or it is more challenging than you thought it was going to be. That, that is lasting longer than you thought it was going to last. That is fiercer you thought it was going to be. And if you ever felt like that, or if you feel like that today, let me tell you, you're in good company. Because that is exactly where the children of Israel found themselves time and time again. And that's exactly where we are most tempted to trust in chariots and in horses. This is exactly when we are most tempted to resort to our flesh, to other means, to rely on our expertise, on our resources, our education, our money, our connections, our emotions to save us, to give us the upper hand so that we can get out of whatever pickle or whatever dilemma or whatever fight that we are in. Well, God sent me here today to remind you that our victory in this life 
is not found in the accumulation or the strength of our chariots or our horses, but it is in fact as the people of God found in our ability to remember and to know the name of the Lord our God. Come on and give God a hand praise today. Somebody say amen. But come on, let's be honest today. It is easier said than done. So what I'd like to do for a few moments is explore how chariots and horses relate to us today and how we can avoid placing our trust in them. I'd like to get a little practical with you today. I'd like to help you understand how even as people of faith, even as Christians, even as believers, we can, without knowing it at times, resort to horses and chariot strategies instead of remembering the name of the Lord. Amen. How many of you are ready for this? Amen. First, let's talk about chariots. Chariots which signify the ingenuity of man. The writer of the psalm says some trust in chariots. There are a population, there are a segment, there are a group or groups of people within God's nation, within the, God's people who have a propensity, an inclination to put their confidence, their trust, and bank on their ingenuity. Now, man has been given this mind. And our mind is a great thing. It has the ability to invent, to build, and this capacity has allowed man to achieve some unimaginable things. The mind is a powerful thing. And the mind has taken mankind to some amazing, never thought possible levels. Amen. Consider some of our modern day chariots that we have seen throughout our lifetime and lifetimes uh, before us, such as the light bulb, huh? The light bulb, um, automobiles and airplanes and rocket ships. I mean, who would have ever thought that we would go to the moon or to outer space? Who would have ever thought that we would have the kind of technology to, uh, with, with just our, our thumbs, send a message from here to the other side of the world. I mean, these are the inventions of man. Amen. These are the inventions of man. And the mind that God has given us has allowed us to invent these things. Smartphones, digital cameras. How about modern medicine? And some of the things that, that medicine does for us, just to name a few. God has given us an incredible ability to create and to invent and to build things. I'm going to say amen for that. Amen? I mean, he's given all of us this ability to do that. And the world uh, is the innovative place that it is because of that. So, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that we're always trying to solve and to fix our way out of our problems. Here's the caution. Many times we lean on our ability to invent, to make, or to fix. And we say in our hearts, and I think sometimes innocently, but we say, I can do this. Hmm. We say, we can do this. And if we're not careful, we can end up 
with our own intent, with our own ingenuity, with our own thinking, our own smart brilliance, and all these creative capacities that we have within us to completely squeeze God out of the picture. Amen. I'm going somewhere today. You better buckle up your safety belt this afternoon. I'm taking my time. Is that all right? I'm taking my time. I know we have other things we got to do this afternoon. Amen. But, but I'm taking my time today because I need you to understand how even as people of faith, sometimes we are resorting to the ingenuity that God has given us where we say, I'm going to make this happen. And we try to make it happen. This happens uh, in all spheres of life. It can happen at home. It can happen at work. It can happen in our relationships. It can happen in church. It can happen just about any place where we try to put our minds together or we try to solve the puzzle and fix things uh, through our own ingenuity. And the logic goes a little something like this. You or someone you know gets a bright idea. Huh. Light bulb. Someone say light bulb. Light bulb. You get a bright idea, and it sounds good. It checks all the boxes. It totally makes sense. It's like, why didn't I think of this earlier? It's one of those kinds of ideas or one of those kinds of things where you just, man, this is something that, um, man, it's just one plus one equals two. And in fact, you get emotionally invested in the idea. You think, man, this makes so much sense. You know, this, this is just like, you know, this is like a no-brainer. I ought to just do this. And you already start envisioning yourself there. You know, you already start imagining yourself in that job. Huh. You already start imagining yourself marrying that person. Mm. You already start imagining yourself uh, serving in that ministry. And you say to yourself, well, God wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy. So it must be his will. Come on, are you guys going to talk with me here today? Come on now. Don't be so quiet on me. This makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. So it must be the will of God. And then you go start thanking God. Thank you, Jesus, for something that God didn't even do for you. Start thanking him for a job he didn't even actually give to you. This happens a lot. This happens a lot. Start thanking him for things that God is simply the product of your own invention. Well, hold up. Let me ask you a question today. How are you sure that it was the Lord? What, because you feel like it was? How do you know that it was the Lord? How do you know that it's not a chariot that you're depending on? How do you know that it's not a product of your own invention? How do you know that it's not a product of your own will and creativity? How do you know that it's not you making plans and then asking God to bless them? How do you know that it's not you uh, creating this, this idea in your mind, uh, this life that you want to live, this place you want to go, this job you want, this person you want, this thing you want, and you get so emotionally invested in it that you never stop to ask, is this really what God wants for me? And so therefore, because you're so emotionally or you're so intellectually invested in it, you're in too deep, and now you just need God to bless you because, man, this thing is already taking off. And I've come to tell you today, that not every good idea is a God idea. 
I'm gonna look, I've decided I'm gonna preach the rest of this message whether you clap or say amen or not. Because I need to help somebody to understand just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. And there is somebody here today, you've got to start growing up in your faith to start learning the difference between the two. And start asking ourselves these important questions. Uh, we ought to do, what we ought to do is say, is pray to the Lord and say, God, thank you for giving me the ability to think. Thank you, God, that I've got a good mind. Thank you, God, I can put my education to work. Uh, I can put my brilliance to work. Uh, I can put my good strategizing and my, my good problem-solving skills to work. But, Lord, I also need you to help me so that you guide me and direct me in the right path because I don't want to go somewhere that you didn't call me to go whatever happened come on somebody I need to ask you a question whatever happened to say wait let me pray about it first whatever happened to let me pray first and sometimes we just get an opportunity oh yes yes me 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 it's like wait a minute did we pray about it first? And did we listen to the answer that God gave us? Someone say, pray first. Pray first. Pray first. And the only way to ensure that we don't trust in our chariots is to pray first. Now, the problem with chariots is that they break down. Even the most sophisticated chariots cannot be trusted. You don't believe me? Ask Pharaoh. Who hardened his heart and chased, watch this, after something who happened to be Israel that God had told him to let go. What are you chasing that God told you to let go of? I'm about to call the piano player up because y'all ain't ready for this. I said what it is that you are chasing that God said to let go. But see, when you're in your chariot, you ain't got time to think about that. You're just like chasing after it. I'm chasing after you. No, you're not chasing after that. You're chasing after something else. But we're saying I'm chasing after you about the stuff that we want, Brother Bill. <laughs> huh? What are we chasing after? And a lot of times we're chasing after things like Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the Bible says that he has 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. And there they were chasing after something that God had told them, let go, let go. I mean, they went through all the plagues. How many, how many plagues does God have to allow into our lives? How many frogs huh, do we have to kiss huh, before we realize maybe, just maybe this time. Someone say this time. Maybe this time I should just let God do it. Because every time I try to take control of my life and I try to take control of my situation, every time I always seem to miss. So instead of trying to make him Mr. Wonderful and make her Mrs. Perfect, instead of, come on now, I'm helping somebody out right now. Instead of trying to make, say, well, well you know, um, how about you ask God, is this the right one for me? A lot of times, uh, I don't know why I'm giving relationship advice, but I'm going to do it right now. You know? A lot of times, we, we, we fall in love with that person, and then we ask God. You already set a date. 
What's God going to do now? I mean, I've had people come before me, ask me for relationship advice. They already got a date. They send out the invitation. And my question, well, what if I told you it's not the right one? Pastor? <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Sure, make me the bad guy. No, no, no. And we do this not just in the big stuff, but sometimes we do it in the small stuff. Before you approach that person, pray about it. Before you take that thing, pray about it. And maybe like Pharaoh, when he was chasing with his chariots, the people of God, the thing that God told him to let go, he, his wheels started to break down and they got stuck in the middle of, of the sea and then they got swallowed up. Maybe you're getting swallowed up. Maybe your wheels are getting jammed where you are because instead of trusting in God, you've been riding your chariot, trying to force things to happen, trying to force your will upon it, try to ingenue, you know, engineer your way through life and all that. At some point, you got to just take a step back and say, God, I'm going to let you do this one for me. At some point, you got to learn how to just say, Jesus, it's not me. It's not my will. It's your will. Pharaoh didn't listen. He insisted on driving his chariots. Even, you'll be surprised, even with broken, busted up, wobbly wheels. There he was. Some people, oh, man, we could be so stubborn. Our wheels are falling apart. Our chariots are all, you know, held together by duct tape and glue. But there we go. We're insisting on something that God has said, that's not for you. Let it go. Someone say, let it go. So trusting in chariots is the equivalent to forcing your will and leaning on your own understanding, which Proverbs tells us not to do. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. And he, and he, and he, and he shall direct your path. Come on and clap your hands and give the Lord some praise today. to help everybody out today you know I, I i care about you and i care about the decisions that we are making because you know god's doing some amazing things in our life we just uh, you know we're in revival but then you know what about monday through 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 saturday and and, and what kind of decision that we're making so if, if chariots represent the ingenuity of man then let's talk about horses because horses represent the resources of man he said some trust and chariots, and some, there's another segment, <laughs> so if you were like not in the chariot group, you might be in the horses group, <laughs> because some, they don't have a chariot problem, they got a horse problem, Ooh, Lord help me today, consider this, man made the chariot, but God made the horses, God created the horses, amen. Just making sure we all believe that. God created the horses. Amen. And he is the one who put life into the horse, not man. The horse is not a product of man's ingenuity. It's a product of God's ingenuity. All man did, watch this, all man did was put a saddle on the horse's back, a bit in his mouth, and started to use the resource that God had given him. Pretty simple. God made it and he gave it to man for us to appreciate, to enjoy, and to use. So maybe you're thinking, well, what's the problem? <laughs> Sounds like horses are a good thing. God created them. Well, yes and no. 
Because even God-made things can become false sources of confidence. I'm going to say that again. Even God-made or God-created things can become false sources of confidence. Perhaps this is why Israel wasn't even allowed, brother, to have horses in excess. Did you know the Lord told them this in Deuteronomy? Watch Deuteronomy 17, 16. The Lord told them, his people, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. God doesn't have anything against horses. Like, man, what's wrong with horses, man? I like horses. No. God's got no problem with horses, the animal. The horse is not the problem. It's the people who own them and use them and put their confidence in the resources to help them win the victories in the battlefield. So God said, look, I've given you a resource that you did not create on your own. I need you to track me here today, church. I've given you a resource. Whatever that resource is, it's something that I gave you. Now, you need to make sure that as you move along, your confidence doesn't start to transition over from confidence in the name of the Lord, who is your God, me, my presence, and confidence towards the thing that I gave you. So now, instead of worshiping me, you're worshiping the thing. Come on. Instead of worshiping me, you're worshiping the thing that I gave you. Ah, but God, you blessed me with this job. Praise be to God. If he blessed you with that job, guess what? That job is a resource. Some will say it's a resource. But the moment I start trusting in my job more than I trust in him, it's no longer a resource. It's a God. Oh, I need to help somebody here today. You say, well, how does this happen? It happens right under our noses sometimes. At what point do you stop trusting in the Lord's name and start trusting more in the things he gave you? I'll tell you when. When God tells you to let that thing go and you can't. Well, wait a minute, Jack. Who's the one that gave you that job? Ah, uh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now, wait a minute, buddy. Wait a minute. Who's the one that blessed you with that resources? Who gave you that house? So now you're working for your house or you're working for me. Which one is it? Because don't you ever forget that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be, come on now somebody, the name of the Lord. I've got to remember that it's okay for me to have stuff. It's okay for me to have resources. Brother, as long as my resources don't have me. Oh, my Lord. Somebody give God some praise today. Oh, Hallelujah. From God's point of view, there's a big difference between trusting in him and trusting in what he gave you. Listen to the psalmist in Psalms 33, verse 16 and 17. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. 
a horse. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Here's the principle that God wanted his people and he wants us to understand today. I'll be just a few more moments, but this is the principle that God wants us to understand. What keeps you in the promised land is not the strength of your resources, but the depth of your obedience. It's not how strong your resources are. It's not the strength of your retirement account. It's not the strength of your career. It's not your job security. It's not your relationship security. All your confidence and trust is dependent on your depth of obedience. God said, I don't want you worshiping what I gave you. I don't, I didn't bless you so that you would start. I didn't bless you so that you would stop till you would pull away from ministry. I blessed you so you would gravitate towards ministry. I didn't bless I didn't bless you so that you would be working so much you didn't have time for me. I blessed you so that you can use that resource and not the you and not the resource use you. Is there somebody today that says, God, I want to remember your name. I want to trust in your name, God. I want to walk in your way. Come on, church. This is why I pray daily. This is why I tithe faithfully unto God. Why do I tithe? To remind my flesh and my bank account that it wasn't my business deals and it wasn't this or that or who I know or my connections or my degree that blessed me with what I have. It's the Lord that blessed me and everything I have belongs to Him. That's why I tithe. But to remind myself that it's not about me. I pray daily. That's why I attend church every single week to let the flesh know that the key to a victorious life is to come into the house of the Lord and get refreshed with his spirit that's why I praise him and that's why I lift up my hands to remind myself that it's not in me it's not in my name I invite the piano player to come on it's not in me it's not in what I know but it's the fact that he is the Lord he is my God come on Somebody give God some praise this afternoon. I feel the presence of the Lord in this house. I feel the spirit of God in this house. I feel the glory of the Lord in this house. We need to stop placing our confidence and trust in other things and put them back in the Lord and let the Lord fight our battles. Let the Lord take good care of us. Come on. Is there anybody a witness that God is faithful? Is anybody a witness that God is faithful? If you will honor the Lord, he will not let you fall. He will not let you go. God is faithful. David said, I was young, but now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. You don't have to chase after that opportunity, brother. You chase after him. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Come on, is there a witness in the house today? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Come on now. Obedience. Someone say obedience. And all of his righteousness. 
and all these things shall be added unto you. I have found that when I put my confidence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will never cause me to go awry. He will never lead me down the wrong path. He will never lead me down a dead end. But if I follow after God, if I remember his name, if I lift up his name, if I magnify him, is there anybody that can magnify his name today?